Hi everyone, I'm Amber Rose, the Religious Hippie, and welcome to A Catholic's Perspective. For those of you just finding this podcast, let me tell you a little about myself. I was born and raised a cradle Catholic until I fell away from the church for eight years. I just recently came back to the church and I could not be happier with where I am today. I am currently a junior in college and I'm studying graphic design. I am an ambassador for multiple amazing Catholic Christian companies and I love working with all of them. Now, some of you may already know me from my popular religious hippie social media channels, such as TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I have all kinds of Catholic content on there, so don't forget to go check those out. So the reason I wanted to start a podcast was so that I'd be able to have a longer format which people could listen to from wherever they are. I particularly wanted to address issues that young Catholics face today in the secular world, and I want to do that by providing information along with commentary and even a little of my own opinion. I can't lie, from time to time I might be discussing very controversial issues, and some will find my opinions unappealing. But I do this out of my faith and service to God. We must keep communicating with each other, respecting each other, and put each other on the path to sainthood. I think you'll enjoy the podcasts coming up, and I thank you for being here with me. Hey everybody, and welcome back to my podcast. Today we have a familiar voice with us. Welcome back, Father Dan. Always great to be back. Ah, yes, our, our twin little podcast. If you guys don't know Father Dan, he runs the Karate Priest podcast, and he also runs his own social media pages, and he is, in fact, a karate priest. <laughs> oh, and you also work for the military, do you not? Yes, I'm in the reappointment process right now for Chaplain Corps, so I'll be hopefully reappointing and promoting soon. That's exciting and scary at the same time, but, like, mainly exciting. <laughs> yeah, because uh, the whole Ukraine situation is like, oh, my gosh, am I going active duty right in time for World War III? Um, right. Definitely praying for the best in that situation. In fact, we are doing the consecration to uh, to Our Lady uh, for Russia and Ukraine this coming Friday. Yeah, which is actually tomorrow, is it not? So Today's tomorrow. Wednesday. Tomorrow, so tomorrow's Thursday. Oh, okay. Anyway, two days from today <laughs> of when we're filming this podcast. <laughs> So today's podcast topic is basically dating, pre-marriage prep, and marriage. So we have some scenarios for you guys that we're going to be going over, such as courting versus dating, how to pick the right partner for you, marriage prep and what to expect, and then what about mixed marriages and stuff, since those are becoming more prominent in today's era. I'm just going to talk about a whole bunch of things. So I guess we're just going to jump in really fast. I'm just going to explain the difference between courting versus dating really fast because I get a lot of questions about this on my Instagram and some DMs that people send me. And honestly, I didn't really know the difference. I didn't think there really much was a difference, but I found this chart and charts never lie. No, charts are (laughs) always extremely helpful. (laughs) Exactly. So they compare courting versus dating. So courting is like a promise to make a commitment to marriage. Dating doesn't account for readiness into marriage or long-term commitment. Courting is no physical intimacy. Uh, Dating is not waiting until marriage is acceptable, basically. So people will have sex and stuff like that, apparently. Courting usually lasts up to a year, and then dating doesn't have a timeline. Courting, family must give permission. So the person who is dating... Uh, So if the man is dating the woman, he must go and ask the father for permission before actually, you know, taking her and courting her. Um, For dating, no permission is needed to date somebody. 
for courting, the man is usually the one to approach the woman and court her. In dating, there's no gender roles, blah, blah, blah. So that's basically some of the differences. I know there's some other ones, but those are the basic differences that I narrowed it down to. So now that we have that out of the way, Father Dan, you coach and you talk to a lot of young adults and older adults too. And this isn't just for the young adults, but what is one of the main mistakes that you see people making when they're looking for a husband or a wife while dating? So while they're dating, I think one of the biggest mistakes I see is they try to live as if they are married when they are in fact not. Um, and what I see a lot is, is just a lot of promises that are made that, that you can't necessarily make because there is no sense of commitment yet, no real true sense of commitment. Um, and, uh, and, and, and really this encompasses every aspect of what would seem like a marital relationship, uh, including cohabiting. You know, as you see a lot of couples living together um, and then also even having kids together, you know, before they're married. And then what happens is um, it never fails. Most of the time there's, there's a split, you know, they end up breaking up. And, and I've seen kids grow up from almost from the time that they're born in these split relationships and joint custodies because the, the parents thought they could just make things work. And oftentimes it doesn't. Um, and so I think that's probably the biggest mistake that I see is people trying to live like they are married when they are in fact not. I see that quite a bit too. I mean, we see it constantly in mainstream media and celebrities, and a lot of people have kind of thrown marriage to the wayside. And I believe the numbers of marriages has been lower um, this year, or well, in the last 10 years than it has ever been in, in history. And I think one of the reasons for that is the No Fault Divorce Act, which means that basically the woman can divorce the man and take everything he owns for no reason. You know, she can just be like, oh, you know, he pulled my hair or something, divorce, you know, and the man has no say about it. Like that's just it. And so what can we do to overcome that fear of my partner's going to leave me now that we have this, like as Catholics, obviously divorce is not in our vocabulary. We have no annulments. Um, but I think there's that fear of my spouse is going to leave me and take me for everything I own. And part of me is like, well, then why would you marry somebody like that? Right. Um, but I guess the real question is, is our society has really destroyed what marriage looks like. And so how can we rebuild what marriage looks like? Oh boy, we're going to start on that one. Um, I think for me, when I, when I think of like, how do we address this problem? Um, I, I think at least for the church's end is when we're actually doing marriage prep of doing that well. <laughs> um, and that seems like a no brainer, um, but seriously, like part of the marriage prep process, I know we're going to get to a lot of this later, you know, when we specifically target marriage prep, um, but really just making sure the couples know what they're getting themselves into. Um, I think that's the biggest thing, because when you look at, you, you know, you just mentioned annulments. Why do couples end up going through with annulments um, is because many of the times they were lacking either some kind of maturity or just kind of lacking an understanding of what was expected um, and that lack of understanding often has to do with the maturity at the time. Um, and, uh, and so that's what we're looking at. I think the biggest thing is just making sure that they know what they're getting themselves into, um, that they have a healthy perspective uh, of what marriage is. Because if they don't, then that's really going to color the process um, in the way in which they discern marriage in a way that's not going to be very good and beneficial for them in the long term. Um, as far as like societally, <laughs> um, conversion. That's a really simple answer too, but, you know, I, I, I really think, you know, a lot of this starts with a very fundamental um, 
turning back to God. You know, I think of something that we like to call relationship identity mission, RIM. Uh, it's something that my diocese uses a lot with discernment. Um, and so we look at, you know, at marriage as a vocation. And so that would be, in a sense, someone's mission. It becomes part of their identity and part of the relationship. But that, that relationship and identity and that mission come from their fundamental relationship and identity, which is first and foremost as a child of God. Um, and then the, rela- the relationships they have with other people first and foremost. Um, and so I think really by reestablishing that relationship with God um, is the f- really the foundational thing for any of uh, uh, any vocational discernment, you know, so how do we fix marriage starts with, again, conversion. Wow, yeah, and that's so true. I mean, we see how many broken marriages and what happens from it. Broken families create broken children. And uh, a lot of those children, they still suffer greatly from the wounds that were inflicted from their parents, from something that their parents would think would have been a good thing, you know? Um, separating is not always the best in the Catholic church. We know we, we make it work, you know? So obviously the point of dating is to marry that person. We don't play the field as some people like to say. <laughs> um, so what are some steps people can take while dating to see if that person is right for them without spending like 10 years dating them? Because I see a lot of young people spending like years and years of dating and then they don't really hit any hard questions until they're thinking about marriage. But then that person is like, oh, well, I don't believe that. So no, how can we do it in like an orderly fashion where it's not rushed, but we get the important things out? I think this, this question goes along the lines of a of very similar phenomenon in discerning the priesthood, <laughs> because what happens is um, there are some cases where we hear of people who say, yeah, I've been thinking about the priesthood. And like, oh, yeah, for how long? I've been discerning for about 20 years, <laughs> 20 years, and you haven't made any kind of concrete decision. Like, what are you waiting for? I'm waiting for God to tell me it's the right time. Well, if you've been thinking about it for 20 years, you have to have some kind of concrete step, you know, and actually make a step in that direction until the Lord closes the door. You know, so same thing with marriage, you know, um, I think so going back to that question is, you know, what some ways we can do that is making sure that both parties have the same goal in mind. They should have the goal of we are discerning whether or not we are going to get married. That's not saying that we're ready yet. That's not to say that, you know, it, it's, uh, it's, it's far or it's near. It's to say that the whole point is, yeah, like I'm looking for a spouse. Like I'm discerning who, if I, if I feel like I am called to marriage, which you can't just say, you know, I feel like I'm called to marriage. No, it's with a specific person. The marriage to the specific person is the married vocation. It's not just like, you know, uh, same thing like with priesthood, you know, um, we had to discern a specific type of priesthood. You know, there's some guys who it, it starts off with this general inclination of like, I think I'm called to priesthood, but then it's like, okay, well, diocesan, religious, military, you know, in my case, right. um, which uh, is wrapped into diocesan for me as well. Um, but it's the same thing with a spouse, like making sure both parties have the same end in mind. And then from there, making sure they have the same expectations, you know, and that's what a lot of the marriage prep process is for. Um, is, is to making, is making sure that they're on the same page. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really key is making sure both parties are on the same page. They're asking the questions that need to be asked of each other. Um, and, and they're not waiting until they're like a month before their marriage, before they're, they're asking important questions. Um, they should be asking important and deep questions before, um, they even get engaged, you know, cause engagement is where you're really saying we are planning to get married and now we're doing all the, the proximate preparation, Whereas the remote preparation would be more of the asking of questions during the dating phase. So you're not wasting your time. 
No, that makes sense for sure. And it's, it's interesting to see how the process goes because some people, uh, fr like friends of mine have dated for like a month and they've known and they get married like in six months or whatever or the next year. Other people, they take years to figure it out. And I always wondered what that was. Was it a fear of like figuring out whether they were on the same page or was it just out of complacency, you know, so it is very important to be on the same page and make sure that, especially as Catholics, our faith is being nurtured by our significant other. Um, and so let's say that the person, boy or girl, found the right person to marry, and now they have to go through all the pre-wedding planning, or also known pre-cana. Do you guys call it pre-cana? Uh, kind of, more or less. Well, marriage prep is a term that we use a lot, but I do hear pre-cana used a lot as well. Okay. In my diocese, we use pre-cana quite a bit, but as a small girl, I would always plan out my weddings as every little small girl does. And I'm going to be honest, not much of my tastes have changed. I still really like pastel yellow and like all the, you know, fruity kind of colors, but a lot goes into marriage prep uh, besides picking your favorite wedding aesthetic. And I have two friends actually getting married soon. Um, and they tell me about all the marriage prep they're going through. And it blows my mind. I'm like, how do you handle all of this? Plus a full-time job for both of them. And they're running all these events and things like that. Um, so I, I guess to make it like less overwhelming, what can some people expect in the steps of doing marriage prep? Like what are the steps and then what do they entail? Yeah. You know, what's, what's ironic is that right after we finish recording this, I have a marriage prep meeting with a couple tonight. So no. yeah, yeah. Look so this is that. really cool. And it's, and it's our first meeting together. And so tonight I'm actually explaining this very thing. Of what is this process. Yeah. What is this process going to entail for them uh, for the next several months? Um, so, well, so the first thing is I want to distinguish between marriage prep and wedding planning, because I think that, you know, they, they go kind of hand in hand, but at the same time, um, they are very distinct things. Um, so like the simpler thing would probably actually be the wedding planning, right? Booking the church, booking the venue, um, doing all the, the food taste testing and all these things. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, whereas the marriage prep is really getting ready sacramentally, you know, you're really preparing to receive a sacrament, just like we prepare people for first communion for confirmation. Uh, just like for priesthood, we spend guys, we send guys to the seminary for several years. Um, marriage prep is basically that for the couple. Um, it's making sure that they are prepared to receive a sacrament um, and not just receive uh, to actually give the sacrament to each other, because in a sacramental marriage, it's the couple that gives the sacrament to each other. It's not the priest or the deacon or whoever's officiating. The couple actually gives the sacrament to each other. It's an exercise of their baptismal priesthood. Um, and so with that, what's the, what's, what can they expect when they come in? And I'll kind of use how I do my meetings as an example. The first meeting with me is like the intake stuff. So we get like the, the date of the ceremony, all their contact information, um, just to at least kind of like put all that on the calendar. And then from there, um, I lay out the process. So I tell them like what each meeting is going to entail. Um, and then usually in the first meeting, we'll do what we call the prenuptial inquiry. Uh, which is something that we have to do with every single couple. And it's called prenuptial. It's actually called a canonical inquiry as well. It's called canonical because by canon law, we have to ask certain questions of the couple. It's to make sure they're actually free to marry. Um, and so we're asking for like their background, like, you know, um, their, 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 uh, like their parents' religion. Um, you know, how are they raised? What's, the, what's their level of catechesis? Like, what, did they um, receive the sacrament of confirmation? When did they last receive instructions in the Catholic faith? 
whether it be like in, you know, like a, a parish CCD program or through Catholic school or, um, or, or, you know, maybe in the, in the cases of seminarians who discern out, you know, oh, they went to seminary, so they probably have a pretty good level of Catholic <laughs> education, you know, um, so, um, and uh, so we get that kind of information, but then there's certain questions that we have to ask them individually, and so we separate them, um, and we get to ask them, you know, things like, uh, and this is actually a, a rather ironic question in Louisiana, but there's a, and it's funny, because I preface it with the couples by saying this is going to sound like a strange question, but you'll, you'll understand why in South Louisiana, I have to ask. Um, the first question on the inquiry is, are you related to your intended spouse in any way? <laughs> now, the reason that's interesting is because in Louisiana, Cajun families have intermarried so many times that you're more than likely somehow related very far down the road. Yeah. Um, and so, and in the Catholic church, you can marry, I think your third cousin and beyond. Um, so um, so it, it's kind of, yeah, so it's a kind of off the wall question, um, but making sure they're not related. We have to ask them things like, um, do your parents agree with your decision to marry and do your fiance's parents agree with their decision to marry you? Um, we have to ask them about impediments. So um, were you previously like ordained and like not received the dispensation from orders or, you know, was the, is, is the, uh, the bride a, like previously a nun who doesn't have a dispensation from perpetual vows? Um, mm. Did they murder each other's previous spouse? Um, like things oh. like, like we, there's several questions we have to ask them because I guarantee in the 2000 year history of the Catholic church, these situations have come up. There is a reason um, <laughs> that they have to ask these questions. It's exactly. not just like somebody and sat so, down and was like, oh, did you so murder your all spouse? All of this is to first and foremost vet their, their, um, their ability to actually contract a valid marriage. Um, so for the sake of validity, right? So, and then from there, that's usually like the, the big thing for the first meeting is the intake and then doing that inquiry. Because if something, if a red flag comes up there, um, now there are things we can get dispensations for. There are some things, and depending on the diocese, a priest may have faculties in his diocese to dispense with some dispensations himself. Um, but there are some that are reserved to the diocesan bishop. Hmm. Um, and so we have to figure out what dispensations are needed. Um, does one need an annulment? Um, and so before we proceed, we have to figure out exactly what work has to be done uh, if any of those situations arise. So that's the first meeting for me, at least. Um, again, a lot of this is just how I do marriage prep. It could be different from priest to priest. Um, the next thing they're going to do is, uh, is kind of starts like a homework phase for them. So I tell them your first homework assignment that you need to turn in um, is I need your baptismal certificates. Um, and so if it's uh, now that's if presuming they're baptized, you know, so if uh, let's say if they're um, two Catholics, then we tell them, you know, you're going to get your baptismal certificate from the church you were baptized at. Your sacramental records will all be there. So have them send us a copy of that, usually a notarized copy. Um, let's say for the, you know, for a, uh, a mixed marriage, which I've done a few already as well. Uh, so a Catholic and a Christian who is, who's, who's just not Catholic, mm -hmm. a baptized, at least somewhat, you know, baptized Christian, but not Catholic. Um, they should also have some kind of sacramental record as well. And usually for most Protestant churches, um, they do keep sacramental records. And so I've never had an issue where we couldn't track down a, uh, like a Protestant um, baptismal record. And that's just to show they are validly baptized where they are giving a sacrament to each other at the altar. Um, so that's their first kind of homework assignment for me. Um, from there, uh, in my diocese, we use something called focus. Uh, 
which stands for something like facilitating open couple communication and unity skills, something like that. Um, in focus, we don't call it a test uh, or an exam. We call it an instrument. And it's, it's several, I think it's about almost 200 questions um, that the couple has to answer. Um, and it's usually agree, disagree, or undecided. And the whole point of focus is to see what things are they on the same page with. This is what really gives me a snapshot of where they are right now in the relationship. Um, and so it asks questions like, you know, um, you know, have we talked about where we're going to live once we're married? Are we going to stay in one of our local towns? Or are we going to completely uproot and move somewhere else for the sake of both of us starting over anew? You know, um, how do we plan to raise our children? Have we discussed what roles we're going to have in the household? Things like that. So asking all these really important questions uh, of the couple and to see where do they need to maybe have further discussion. It's not a pass or fail thing. Um, and so it just gives us a snapshot of what things are they doing really well? What things can they improve on? Um, what conversations still need to be have, uh, had before the wedding day? Um, and so the way that I do focus, uh, and that's the, the thing too, is I'm a facilitator. Um, you can also have lay facilitators. What's really cool is that my mom and dad are actually a facilitator couple as well. Um, so when I was a deacon before I was a priest, um, and before I was a facilitator myself, um, there's a few couples that I, I did their weddings as a deacon. And since I wasn't a facilitator, I had my mom and dad do their focus. So it was really cool. So I actually had, you know, I had like my couples, like my mom and dad were involved in my ministry, which I thought was really, really cool. You know, they were helping me to vet my couples. Um, and so that was a really cool part of the process. Um, and, uh, but focus is really, really cool. It's a very fun conversation when we go over the results. Um, and it's amazing just like the, uh, the, the dynamic differences you see between um, the two people who are there. Um, so uh, I apologize if you hear my bells ringing in the background. It's uh, six o'clock over here, so it's the Angelus time. Um, so uh, anywho. Okay. I know that the bells also are supposed to cleanse demons from the air or something. There's yeah, like whole thing something like that. that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, anyway, I'm gonna try to talk through the bells. Um, <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so we focus is always a really good like conversation starter, you know, and we really get into like some deep stuff there just with you know, expectations and, and uh, just their understanding of different topics. Um, so on top of that, they're also going to do some kind of, now this is what we would call the pre-cana. We call it like, at least in my diocese, we refer to like the, the, uh, like the retreat phase as the pre-cana itself. Um, and so there's several different ways you can do that. In most dioceses offer a couple of different routes. Um, there's different programs as well. So in my diocese, what we do is we have a program called Engaged. Um, and because of COVID, um, it's pretty much all virtual. Uh, so it's like a one day retreat or they can actually, the couple can kind of work at it themselves at their own pace. Um, and what they do is once they finish like the virtual portion, they actually do like a zoom meeting with a mentor couple and kind of go over things. So I've used that program before. That's the, the usual route that I'll use. Um, in the past, we did have um, in-person retreats for like a, like a day or like a weekend. Uh, but with COVID, we haven't, re we haven't really reestablished those yet. Um, but most dioceses traditionally would offer like an in-person retreat. Um, some dioceses have a program called Engaged Encounter, uh, which is, a, or Days for the Engaged is a similar program as well, where they actually do a, uh, like, a like a weekend retreat. Uh, and there's different activities they'll do there. Um, and so, uh, but the important part is they're actually getting to pray together you know, and actually go through kind of a more targeted sacramental prep for, for marriage. Um, 
There's also programs that involve mentor couples where the, the engaged couple will actually go visit a married mentor couple, and they're going to have a program talking about the expectations of marriage, uh, everything that it entails. It's a great point for them to get to ask questions of, of the mentor couple as well. Um, and so that's a great process. And then there's also one that I've used as well, because the, um, the, the online one that my diocese does uh, used to actually be like a live virtual retreat. And, if, and they had it like once every other month. So if you couldn't make it, um, then it was kind of hard to schedule around it. Uh, so there's a program that I'll use sometimes called uh, Catholic Marriage Prep Online. Uh, and the couple is plugged in with a mentor couple on the other end. And they have several homework assignments they do. And then the mentor couple will then send me um, this kind of a results page or just a kind of like an overview of how the couple did. Um, so I get an understanding of, you know, what topics were covered, how they respond, uh, any recommendations from the mentor couple, things like that. So um, there's plenty of ways that you can do like your, your pre-cana portion of it all. Um, and so then from there, uh, once we do all of that, uh, we actually sit down and plan the wedding itself. Uh, so we sit down, we talk about the liturgy, uh, and there's a, I call it the little yellow book. Um, there's a little book called uh, Together for Life that we use in my diocese, and you can buy it at any of, we have like two Catholic stores in our diocese, one in Homa and one in Thibodeau, so the two seats of the diocese. Uh, and I tell them, if you go to the little store, ask them for the little yellow marriage book, they'll know exactly what I'm talking about. So um, it's like a little $5 book, and what it does is it has all the reading options in there with like a little summary and synopsis of the reading. So it helps the couple with picking the readings. Um, and then also with planning the liturgy itself, because there's a little tear out thing at the end that when they fill out all their options, they tear it out, hand it to me. And that tells me where I set all my ribbons and tabs in my book. So it's a really helpful way um, for me to, to set everything for the wedding. Um, so that's usually our last meeting is to actually plan the liturgy itself, talking about like music, uh, decorations, um, any special options that, you know, they want to go through, um, things of that nature. Uh, and then finally we get to the wedding rehearsal and the wedding itself. And so at the rehearsal, we'll actually kind of run through things, um, make sure that they, they know what to expect. Um, make sure that they, they, there's kind of get the nerves out beforehand as much as possible. Um, and then it's the wedding itself. And then that's kind of, that's it. We get to, we cross most of that take, like how long does all of that take usually like a year? So I'm glad you asked that question. Uh, it usually takes several months. Huh. Uh, and so we, uh, we tell people that you should contact the church at least six months prior to the wedding date. Um, so, uh, now because, uh, I'm at the cathedral and this tends to be a very popular church for weddings. Uh, most of the time we'll get like phone calls a year in advance because the cathedral does get booked up very quickly because it's a gorgeous church. Right. Um, so uh, we do get a lot of requests here. Um, and so it just depends on the parish. If it's a smaller parish, you know, like a country church parish, you're probably safe at the six month mark. Um, now, what often ends up happening is since I'm a priest at the cathedral and we have a lot of weddings, I tend to do a lot of marriage prep. <laughs> so I do have several weddings on my calendar. Um, well in advance. And, and one of the things I have to do is prioritize the order of the weddings um, and just kind of pace myself with, okay, who's the next couple I have to deal with? Um, I have an accordion folder box on my desk that has all my marriage files. And that's kind of what keeps me on pace with who do I need to talk to next? Um, just being aware of the dates. I remember I had one couple that she booked her wedding a year and a half in advance. Wow. And I remember when she called me, I said, um, 
so here's the good thing is I have nothing on my calendar a year and a half out. So I'm an open book. So it's, it's an absolute yes, I can do your wedding. I said, here's the thing though, is I only need six months to do your prep. <laughs> and, um, and I, I have like seven weddings ahead of you at the moment. And I'll probably fill in some more in the next year and a half as well. I said, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to contact you six months from now on the uh, kind of the year out point from the wedding, just to tell you, I haven't forgotten about you. And then I'm going to contact you in another six months to actually start your prep. <laughs> oh, because I have to pace myself. You know, I, I do do a lot of weddings. And so, um, and it was strange because, you know, I had them in my file box for so long that when we finally sat down to do the prep, it's like, I feel like I've like known you guys, but not known you guys at the same time, you know, and, and it was, it was actually a beautiful wedding. Um, and so, uh, uh, it's amazing. Like when you, when you sit down, you actually get the first request from the couple to do their wedding and the time it takes sometimes. Um, like I said, that was the longest engagement I think I've had so far. Uh, the shortest one I think I've had is probably right at about six months. Okay. Um, so, uh, so yeah, but the good thing is that with the marriage prep process, a lot of this moves very quickly. Um, and so we can do it, you know, we can do it in less than six months. It's just that we give ourselves six months to pace ourselves uh, right. with the whole process. No, that makes sense for sure. Especially with all the paperwork and stuff. You don't want to feel rushed, especially when you're planning everything else with the wedding. Right. So that yeah. totally makes sense. And I know you mentioned mixed marriages. Now that's kind of like tiptoes into our next question a little bit, because yeah. I get constant questions about, you know, dating Protestants and things like this. And, you know, I, I guess the main thing is, is it's like, I know you said that they need their birth certificate. They need to be validly baptized. Um, but what are the steps? Does it, does that constitute a sacramental marriage or is it just a blessed marriage? Yeah. So there's, there's kind of two distinctions when we're talking about marriages between um, anyone who's not a Catholic. Um, so you have mixed marriages, which is a marriage between a Catholic and a baptized non-Catholic. Then you have what's called disparity of cult marriages, which is where you have the, bap uh, the baptism, listen to me, the <laughs> marriage of a baptized Catholic and a non-baptized like they're just not baptized they could be um jewish hindu muslim you name it like or just an atheist you never know um and so that's the case where one of those is sacramental one of those is not the mixed marriage is a sacramental marriage because both people are at least baptized and so if we do confirm the the valid baptism of the non-catholic party if they're a validly baptized protestant it is sacramental because they do have a valid baptism and a valid baptismal priesthood from which to administer the sacrament to their spouse. In a disparity of cult, it's considered a natural marriage, but not a sacramental marriage. Um, and so that's because one of the parties is not baptized and, and cannot actually administer the sacrament to the spouse. So they are considered married in the eyes of the church, but there are different scenarios in which you could dissolve that, those marriages. Um, as opposed to having to get an annulment and things like that. So it's a kind of interesting process for distinguishing between all those. Yeah, no, that's good to know, especially now that we see it happening so much more often these days. Right. I mean, I'm not saying that there aren't good Catholic guys out there, but my experience with a lot of Catholic men has not been the best. Um, so I've met some really great ones, but none that I would ever, you know, consider dating at all. You know, they're great friends. But then I've met some really toxic, toxic, narcissistic kind of men. And I think you can find those anywhere. But I think we also tend to hold 
uh, Catholics up to a higher standard. So when we look at a Catholic man, we expect him to be like St. Joseph and like all this stuff. And when he doesn't add up to certain things, we're kind of let down quite a bit. And I see a lot of my people get discouraged from that, me, myself included, you know? Um, So I guess the the next scenario I'm going to throw at you and the last scenario I'm going to throw at you. Um, So um, my dad comes from a mixed marriage. My grandpa was Protestant. My grandma was extremely devout Catholic and my grandpa supported her in everything. He was there at all of their sacraments and everything like that. Um, and so we, I, I mean, my grandparents were mixed. And then on my mom's side, my grandparents are Catholic, so, uh, both married in the Catholic church. So if there is a, uh, let's say that a Protestant and a Catholic get married outside of the Catholic church. Uh, no dispensation, nothing like that. And they have a baby and they want to baptize the baby in the Catholic church. What are some steps that they might go about doing that? Can they, can they do that? Yeah. So first and foremost, we would encourage them if possible to get the, uh, get their marriage convalidated to make it sacramental. Um, they do that. So, so they would basically go through a very similar process of marriage prep, um, you know, because you're still having to do sacramental prep. Um, but at the same time, like they could still have their child baptized because I've done several baptisms where neither of the parents were married. You know, um, they had a child and and they weren't married yet. Um, and so that's possible. Um, it's, it's usually where you get into the stipulation for marriage and baptism is um, a, a sponsor or a godparent does have to be if they are married in any way, it does have to be in the church. Uh, we don't place that onus on the parents because sometimes it's irregular situations and the parents should have their child baptized. So we don't hold that against the child or the parents. But when you're talking about somebody that you actually get to choose as the model of the faith for your child, that's where the church says they do actually have to be living in, in communion with the church. And so if they are married, it, it does have to be sacramental for the baptismal godparent or for a confirmation sponsor. But the parents can have their child baptized uh, in that situation. Okay. And that, it makes a lot of sense. Cause what if they have a baby, you know, out of wedlock or something and, you know, the baby needs to be baptized. It's not the baby's fault, you know, or exactly right. Yeah. And that's, that's what the church says as well. Okay. So that totally makes sense. And I know though, like, do the parents need to be a part of a certain parish in order to do this? What happens if a priest denies them the baptism of their child, because they're not in the church? Um, uh... <laughs> I mean, I've never heard of that situation happening, at least near me. Um, so I really can't give an answer to that. <laughs> I mean, as far as I know, I've never run into issues where, you know, people were denied the baptism of their child for that situation, you know. Interesting. Um, so, uh, I mean, I, like I said, I've, I've, I've done baptisms before where the parents were not married, you know. Um, so again, like, you know, that's, that's something that, um, you know, again, they have, a, they want to baptize their child, you know, and that's, that's the important thing. No, for sure. And I guess that kind of concludes our talk on marriage and dating and all that fun stuff. So thank you so much, Father Dan, for doing this with me. It's been a pleasure. And this is definitely a topic that, you know, people pick my brain all the time. And, and you know, it's funny that used to tell our listeners um, in the seminary, we have a whole semester class on canon law of matrimony. We take two canon law classes at the seminary that I went to. One is generic canon law. The other one is just canon law of matrimony. Because there's so much of canon law that goes into it that we take a whole semester just on law of matrimony. (laughs) So there's your little tidbit of information for this uh, for this episode.
That's awesome. I love that. Well, thank you so much. And again, my followers, you guys can find Father Dan, the Karate Priest on Instagram, and also your own podcast, the Karate Priest Podcast, also produced by my producer and now his producer, Todd Fisher. Um, so yeah, is there any last words you want to say to my followers before we head out? Nope, it's great being here. And uh, once again, thank you for the opportunity. And with all that being said, I hope this answered some of your guys' questions. I feel like we could totally do a part two on this at some point. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So if you guys do have any questions on this, feel free to shoot me an email and maybe Father Dan and I will hop back on and answer, do a Q&A for marriage prep. And with all that being said, I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast and I will talk to you guys in the next one. Bye. questions or comments about today's episode, email me at thereligioushippie at gmail.com or leave a voice message at anchor.fm forward slash thereligioushippie. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Please be sure to rate and review this episode. This podcast is produced by Todd Fisher and distributed by Metacortex Publishing. This podcast is copyright. Any previously trademarked or copyright content is used by permission. Information and opinions stated in this podcast should not be construed as medical advice. Please be sure to visit the official website for the International Association of Metatomics at metatomics.org or find us on social media for other unique content.